Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello and welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host. Joe Chung is here from As the Joe Flies and Disney Deciphered, back from Taiwan. So we have to talk all about your trip. I'm told Joe is just fresh off the airplane. What, you only landed a couple hours ago, Joe? That's right, podcast co-host. I am back and uh, very happy to be back. Just got off the plane from Toronto. So our routing back. You know, I still like have to always think in my head about how this works, but left Sunday night in Taiwan, landed in Toronto an hour later in Toronto time, 8 p.m., like left at 7 p.m., landed 8 p.m. in Toronto. We had to overnight there at the Sheraton there, which was pretty nice. You know, it's nice to have a airport hotel. And we also used Marriott points, Bonvoy points that like I never get to use. So that was a double bonus there. Stayed there. Ate at the hotel restaurant twice, which like we never do, but you know, we just had to survive. Then I took a early, not early, but like a 9 a.m. flight home, was back in Boston at 11. Two hours later, I'm here recording with you, podcast co host, and uh, happy leap year day, everybody. It's uh, February 29th as you're listening to this. So, yeah, it's really good to be back. Had a great trip, but uh, really fighting jet lag right now and did want to start before we're going to mostly talk about a trip. My my trip today, but I did want to ask you, Sean, if you have any jet lag tips, because I'm struggling right now. The kids are struggling. Everybody's struggling. When I was younger, jet lag didn't hit me nearly as hard. And my big tip was just stay awake, right? Just push past, which isn't unique. I think a lot of people say that and it worked, but nowadays it doesn't work and I don't really have any tips. So I would be interested to hear from other people because now I'll try to stay awake. And even if I do that, I'm still waking up at the wrong times. Then I'm just not getting sleep. And physically, I just don't feel well, which is something new. When I was younger, I don't feel like I had that physical tiredness that sort of creeps in with jet lag. Yeah, you might be tired because you didn't sleep, but my body feels off for a couple days. And uh, it'll be interesting when we go to Europe because these shorter trips, I'm not used to going for a week. And you know, I feel like a week is just enough time to mess up your body clock and then for you to come right back and do it again. Yeah, and Europe for you is what? it's six hours for me so nine hours for you difference yeah nine hours so it's not quite as bad as asia i don't know do you, i think asia is really where i struggle the worst compared to europe but again i haven't done like a quick hop over to europe and then back so it'll be interesting to see how i adjust yeah i don't know i totally hear what you're saying though like i feel like like my head hurts and you just feel this general malaise 
I like, what is your plan these days? I, I was, so my thinking was I'm going to sleep as little as possible on the flight home. Cause we land in Toronto at 8 PM and I want to be ready for bed, you know? And so we landed, got through customs. It was 9 PM. We had to eat. Uh, we had just eaten on the plane, but we, we like, it was kind of like we had to eat again. Like it wasn't enough food. All the, there was enough food, but we didn't eat enough. And so it's like, we finally went to bed at 11 or 12. I went to bed fine. But then it's just like you said, oh, and I did what I planned. I only like slept for like two or three hours. We were flying business class, but I still only slept like three hours. Did what you said. And then, of course, I'm up at 4 a.m. anyway. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going off six hours of sleep over like the last 40 hours or something like that. So I, I, guess, I guess I should have just slept on the plane is my bottom line. On the way over, it was perfect. I slept like seven or eight hours. We got there. It was the morning and, you know, just tried to fight through that day. And we were going to bed at six and seven the first couple of days, but we got over it fairly fast. I think this is a good point to talk about because this is a reason a lot of people don't like to travel and a lot of people kind of poo poo it. And people in this community or people who love to travel don't understand that, but there is a lot that goes into it. And you're a heavy traveler, heavily experienced traveler talking about this. I'm talking about this. It's universal, but there's people who just don't want to go through that, right? They don't want to mess themselves up to that bit. And they're not curious enough, I guess, to go other places to mess up their whole life. And if you're trying to do it in like a week where you have a vacation that can mess you up when you come back, you know, you're here recording a podcast two hours after you landed. I'm sure you're tired. It's going to be a struggle the whole day. And so I do see why these sort of whirlwind quick trips, shout out to last week's episode of people haven't listened. Han Chicago was on talking about his back-to-back Asia first-class trips. Great trip, sounded amazing, but exhausting, even if doing it by yourself. And uh, I can see a lot of people just seeing that and saying, no, thank you. I'd rather just go to Disney World. I don't know. I'd just rather go to the next state. I'd rather go somewhere much simpler where it's not going to mess me up. Free and Han making me look bad. So I'm just poor man's Han. Yeah, underachiever. Exactly. I really was wondering what you think. I feel like seven days, on the one hand, long gone are my days. I think the last time I did a really short trip to Asia was for like my grandmother's funeral. And I was there for only like three nights. But that was out of necessity, right? She passed away suddenly. In fact, ironic is not the right word. But coincidentally, I just, I'd been back in Hong Kong came home two weeks and then she passed. And so I went back like a a week later. So like I was in Hong Kong twice in a month. And so I was only there for three nights, but I was thinking to myself and I'm curious what your thoughts are. Seven days is, I almost feel like seven days is kind of like the weirdest period of time to be there because we had just adjusted and then it's like, okay, now it's time to go home. I almost feel like, you know, if you're there and then, also just the way it feels right when you're there for seven days it's not quite like a short trip and it's not quite a long trip either you know you can do we did two destinations we stayed in two different places but it doesn't feel like you know you can go from place to place to place whereas you know when we were in the south pacific last year oceania we were in two different countries and we stopped by disneyland on the way home that was like an 18 day trip and that was a lot long you know i don't know it just it just I guess I'm not doing a good job of expressing myself. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but it just felt like a weird time period to be traveling that far. You're talking to the right guy here because I don't understand week-long trips, even though I'm about to take one, because I've always been the guy going for two, three weeks or longer, and it becomes difficult to travel. Now, there is a argument against longer trips, Joe, in that 
I guess a two-week trip, an 18-day trip, if you have everything sort of packed in there, is good. But the longer you travel, the more downtime you need, the more days off you need. And then you start to say, okay, well, am I just now taking this longer trip where I'm building in all this downtime where I could have just shortened the trip and stayed home and I could work or I could do other things? And that becomes a problem where you're trying to push trips too long. So I don't know what the sweet spot is. I have enjoyed two-week trips. I think that's good. You're saying 18 days. I think that's sort of a long two-week trip. And I think that's a great amount of time to both feel like you hit a place, you got enough time on the road, you're not so worn out that you have to take breaks or you have to worry about laundry, maybe, hopefully, maybe one trip to the laundry, but I think that's good. Week-long trips just pass by so quickly. I'm still trying to put my mind around the fact that, you know, we're going to have three days in Lisbon, three days in Paris, and then we're coming home. I just, I don't know. But then on the flip side, I've been, I've done Asia trips for two days, three days. So I've done all of that. I just think the end of the day, when you're young, you should travel and do all the crazy stuff because you can do it better. You can enjoy it more. You're less of a zombie when you're doing it. And then you can save other experiences for when you're older and you don't feel the need to kind of put everything into one trip. Yeah, I agree. And then, like I said, we just got off the plane and Jess is, you know, inception. She's like an old man filled with regret of all the things that we missed out on doing. And I was like, I was like, first of all, we did a lot of stuff. So you have to kind of appreciate the things that you did get to do. You know, seven days wasn't a long period of time, but we, you know, we packed a lot in on those seven days. The second thing is, of course, Taiwan is where her family's from. So I'm like, you know, we're going to be back. I mean, it was, there are some things, you know, we won't talk about it much, but we visited the home that her dad like grew up in that, you know, it's basically they go back like once a year to celebrate. And we just happened to coincidentally, we were there on the anniversary of her great grandfather's death. You know, he's the dude who like built this house with his own hands. And so we were there on the day where they like tidy up and clean up and stuff like that. Of course, we're the useless Americans. We just went and had lunch and then we left. But uh, still, you know, things like that, who knows? You you never know. Like that might be the last time we see that place, but we'll, we'll probably be back to Taiwan. And, you know, on the thought of like a rest day, you know, as a Disney person, I'm always like telling my clients like to build an arrest day. And I was like, why didn't we build an arrest day in Taiwan? We really should have. And kind of getting to the trip, like working backwards, we actually ended up using our last day as our rest day because my daughter, my youngest daughter got sick right towards the end. She had like a really creepy cough, like she had a creepy cough the, the literal night before we left. And was it the night before or two nights before? I don't know. Everything's a blur right now. But it was close enough to the end of the trip that I was like looking up international clinics and stuff like that just to, you know, because I wanted to, I was like, do we need to get her seen or whatever? So that last day, we were staying at the Grand Hyatt Taipei, haunted, didn't see any ghosts. If you don't know about that, just look it up. And thank goodness, like, this is really where I'm like, oh, I'm glad. I'm glad I stayed at the Excalibur so much last year when I still could because globalist being able to check out at 4 p.m you know our car came to pick us up at 4 45 it was really clutch my daughter did not leave the room that whole day she just rested and she was she was better when she woke up in the morning but we didn't take her out at all the rest of us we took like trips on our own but we took it easy on that rest day i mean that the globalist 4 p.m late checkout and also they got us into our room at 9 a.m the day we arrived as well i mean that just it it made such a world of difference in terms of just our stress levels. And I really appreciated that. 
So we'll talk all about Taiwan, and I guess we'll talk more about this hotel in a second. But the Grand Hyatt Taipei, I did not know it was haunted. So I don't know the story behind this. And I have stayed there, so that's surprising. It's the only hotel in the Hyatt chain or in the world where I've actually asked to be downgraded from a suite. When I went there, I was by myself, so I was solo. And they upgraded me to a suite, but it was a smoking suite, so it just reeked of smoke. And it didn't have any good views. And I knew their deluxe rooms had views of Taipei 101. And I didn't need the whole suite, so I asked them to downgrade me to a non-smoking deluxe room with views of the Taipei 101, and that worked out great. But I loved that hotel. The service was great, and I remember it being a great property, and I think the location, if I remember right, was fantastic, right in the center of everything. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you can smoke in that hotel anymore, so you're good. You don't need to downgrade your suite next time you stay there. I agree. The service was excellent. You know, it was funny. So we got in. We landed at like 6 a.m., we got to the hotel at like 6.45, and I think I think the uh, night shift was – they were like, you got to come back at like 12 or 1 to check for your room. But like right at 8 o'clock, the shift changed, and so I went to go talk to the new person. That lady was like, the cleaners don't come in until 9. And you, know, you can refer back to past episodes, but the short version is I booked one room on points, used a suite upgrade for that, and then I booked my wife's room because – due to occupancy limits, we had to book two rooms. We had to book two grand suite Kings, which is the lowest level suite there. Those are the only connecting rooms in the hotel. We ended up having two suites that I think is very close to the amount of square footage we live in at home, just no kitchen. And so I booked her room on cash, but as a guest of honor. So we were both globalists. And so they had the room, but like, so I asked that lady at eight and she, it was amazing service. Like you said, she's like, the cleaners get in at nine and we'll have it done as soon as possible. I checked in at nine fifteen. She's like, it's going to be ready in five minutes. And she got both rooms ready for us. She originally had only promised under promised that she was only going to get one room ready. By the way, I forget the story about the haunted thing about the hotel. It's just last time I stayed there, someone was like, hey, did you know that hotel was haunted? And then I looked it up and it's it's just one of those things. But uh, the other thing that I want to mention is that they have, or I guess all of Asia and no matter what chain you're staying in, if you get like free breakfast, like I remember the Conrad Bali, their breakfast was amazing, but the Grand Hyatt Taipei's breakfast buffet is spectacular. You know, lots of Western dishes, lots of of Chinese dishes as well. There was an Indian section that I hit up every single day because they had these really great Indian breads and, uh, you know, a little bit of spice in my morning. They had, uh, you know, I got some cocoa, it's not cocoa Krispies, but the equivalent, it's like checks, but chocolate. You know, I had to get that because I'm like a six-year-old boy. I put my son on that too. He's like, oh, this chocolate milk is good. You know, when you mix the milk with that. So it's a really excellent breakfast. And just, uh, you know, I mean, I feel like we're obviously we're going to have other Hyatt stays this year, but staying there for a week really made being globalist worth it or feel like it was worth it. Maybe it's not worth it when you look at the actual money, but it's a sunk cost now because 2023 is over. And so really enjoyed that. And then, like you said, it's right by Taipei 101. There's a, you know, there's, there's convenient access to two at, at a minimum of two of the MRT lines, which is the subway, which runs really well, really impressed with the public transportation in Taiwan. It's very efficient. Everyone lines up very nicely. So yeah, it was great overall. Totally agree as far as the hotel was great. I remember it. Just a shout out to Chinese breakfast buffets in general in nice hotels, whether it be in Taiwan or in mainland China or in Hong Kong or 
basically anywhere where there's Chinese influence and stuff because you get the Chinese breakfast, all the dim sum, all that good stuff, along with the Western breakfast. And then, as you said, a lot of times there's Indian and there's other influences and they're just massive. Like there's so much to eat and usually very fresh and good. And I've had I have to think like the top 10 breakfast buffets I've ever had have all been in basically in China or in an area where there is that Chinese influence on the food. And man, I am so happy going to any of those places. I usually pretty much am with the Chinese breakfast. Once in a while, I'll throw in some Western stuff, but because I'm there and I don't get that food all that often, especially in that display and I don't know, in that sort of way, I don't know, over the top way, it's it's always fun. So I'm glad to see you enjoyed that. So let's talk how you guys got there. You flew on EVA, right? Because I can't call it EVA anymore. Yes. In business class. Yes. How I've was that? Try- I've been trying to say EVA, but like I keep saying EVA. It was, it, it's been difficult. You know, it's been tough times to not say EVA, but we flew EVA business class both ways. And my son was super excited about it. I was thinking about it and it was like, it was like years of miles that we used, you know, it was almost, I think it was 80 times, it was 400,000 United miles, maybe a little more, maybe 500,000 for the five of us one way. And then it was 85 times five. I'm too tired to do math right now. Sorry, Mark. 85 times five Air Canada miles. The other way. Thank you. Thank you. But it was really awesome being able to go both ways. Shout out to Josh from the MTM Diamond Slack and you as well, Sean, but Josh has a premium flighty subscription. So I was asking because I was flying JetBlue on a separate ticket to Chicago on my way out. And so, you know, I asked Josh to give me some info on the incoming flight and stuff like that, because I was a little bit stressed out about missing it. Everything went smoothly. In fact, out of all our flights, the final, the only flight that we had delayed, and it was only for 20 minutes, was this Air Canada flight this morning that we took home from Toronto. So I will say EVA's business class, it is a very solid product. I don't know how, you know, it's, I don't think anything like really stands out, except for maybe the fact that they give pajamas in business class. I have so many pairs of pajamas. Like I was like, oh yeah, yes, that six-year-old girl will take a size large. So I have a buddy who every time he flies EVA home and normally he goes with his family to Taiwan, but they stay for the summer and he has to come home to work. So normally he gets to fly EVA business class home. So I always get him to get me EVA pajamas. So it was nice to, you know, I got him a pair to return the favor and they update them. So he just went last year and the stuff I got him is it's still Jason Wu, who's the designer, but I got him a separate pair. I think that's the only thing that kind of stands out as special. But that being said, everything is really solid. We ordered a vegetarian meal for my, well, we put it on my wife's name on the way out because we were worried because of our daughter has that dairy allergy. We were worried about not being able to have food for her. So on the way back, she got to order her own meal because we were like, okay, there's enough non-dairy options that we'll be able to find something for my daughter on the way home. And she's like, wow. The, the real meal was like so much better. And it was, she's like, I felt like I ate like a five course meal and she was super excited and super happy. So the food was solid all around. I wouldn't say it was like 
the best airplane food I've ever had. But overall, I think the thing that stood out the most to me is just the service. You know, I was waiting for said six-year-old daughter. I was waiting outside the laboratory for her because she likes to do it by herself, but she wants me to be outside to be there. And so I was standing by the galley and, you know, it's one of these, it's not one of those huge business class or first first class galleys. It's a really tight galley, like one you would see in economy. And there were eight flight attendants working in there at the same time. And it was like poetry in motion. And I think that kind of sums up the overall experience. Like they're so good with their service, just impressed overall. And it was just very solid, enjoyable product, got to rest both ways. And so really happy. And my, my kids had a great time too. It's always nice to have them there. I, and I love the people walking by and they're like, what are these freaking kids doing in business class? I don't know, man. I should have, I, I, you're right, guys. I should have sent them back to coach, but whatever. I spoiled them. Yeah, there's that age-old debate. I don't see there's any problem with putting your kids in coach if you're in business class, if they're of a certain age. It's a little different for us because there's one kid when we're traveling You know, these days unless we had our son with us. And you can't really put a little nine-year-old girl, I don't think, in economy by herself. But I wouldn't hesitate to do that. I flew Eva a few years ago, and I have similar takeaways to you. The pajamas, not a huge selling point for me, but kind of a neat novelty for business class. I like the starry ceiling, like the ceiling, if I remember right, in business class has little stars on it, which adds a little mood to it. And I remember the service being over the top. It almost felt like they were trying to go for a first class experience service-wise in the business class cabin. And the seat, I believe, is the reverse herringbone, which is a pretty good product, not like life-changing or anything that other airlines don't have, but very comfortable and I have similar takeaways. I love the airport in Taipei. I just want to say that I've connected through there a lot. I've flown through there a lot. I love exploring. If you have some extra time, you can go find the Hello Kitty gates, which is always a fun thing to do. And even the EVA lounges are interesting because do they still have like that like blue light Tron looking stuff in their lounges like they used to? I remember the Bangkok lounge and the one in Taiwan being both like that. Tron. I don't know. We weren't in the... so. For one reason or another, we got to the Taipei airport a little bit late. And so I only had about 25 minutes in the lounge, much to my chagrin. I never like to go to the airport early, but if I'm flying business class plus, I don't know like how often I'm going to be able to do that anymore because of these aforementioned moocher kids that live with me. And so I was like, I wanted to be there early, but I wasn't able to be there early. I was really impressed with the lounge food in Taipei. The best Doritos I've ever eaten. My daughter and I agreed. Like something about those, something about those. Asian Doritos. I, I just, it, it really, it really clicked with me. And so, yeah, we really enjoyed that. I'm trying to think, you know, there were some weird lighting choices, but was impressed with their lounge. But yeah, overall, great product. Was really happy flying EVA. And it's really hard. Shout out. This is probably the third time I've done it on this podcast about this one trip. But shout out again to Spencer, straight to the points, his premium award service. It paid for itself last year because, I mean, these seats open up for less than 24 hours. And I saw them. I grabbed them. It was back in August. I think it was, you know, I think EVA, I don't know, they were going over a system change or whatever. They pretty much opened up like their entire schedule. And there's no other way I would have been able to get five seats both ways. So shout out again, Spencer. I know you're not listening, but thank you. You know, that really... I, I don't think we could have done – I don't think we would have done a week-long trip without being able to fly in business class both ways because we got to go to work tomorrow. The kids got to go to school tomorrow, you know, and so we needed to be able to get some rest on the plane, which, I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast. You'll survive an economy, but I'd rather do that in the summer when we have more time to, like, recover if 
you know, we're going to go on such a short trip during the middle of the school year. Yeah, that's a long trip, especially from the East Coast of the U.S. to Taiwan. That's a long trip. I did want to go back to the kids meal in business class really quick. And I don't know about others, and I'd be interested to hear from others. You can hit me up on Twitter or anywhere on social media. But as far as if you give your kids the kids meal, a few years ago, we stopped, especially when she's flying business class. She orders off the adult menu. And it, like you said, it's sort of a spectacle. It's multiple courses. She's getting usually she'll get a steak because she likes that. But, you know, not usually seafood or anything like that. But she loves the ability to order off the adult menu. And now it becomes an experience for her. And that's what she does. I'm curious what other people do, because I found kids meals on planes kind of suck. Usually, I remember when we flew back from Paris to Los Angeles a few years ago on Air Tahiti Nui. Coincidentally, we're flying them in premium economy coming back in a couple of weeks. But we ordered her a kid's meal on that and they gave her a salmon grilled cheese. So it was a grilled cheese sandwich with little bits of fish in there. And that's another reason maybe not to order kids meals because maybe it's culturally dependent because I've never seen a fishy grilled cheese before. And that's probably very French. She, she didn't really enjoy it. And she ended up eating our meal anyway. And that's the last time I think we ordered her a kid's meal. Yeah, we don't do kids meal either. The reason why kids meals aren't good on airplanes is because they don't have deep fryers. So you can't like, how are you going to make me my chicken fingers if, you know, if you don't have a deep fryer on the airplane? So our kids order off the main menu as well. You know, I guess the one like tiny nitpick I had was I know that when you're in first class, right? Normally on these Asian carriers, you have an Asian menu and you have a Western menu. Typically, when you're in first class, you can kind of like mix and match and pick from like this much from the Asian menu, this much from, you know, whatever. They were not able to do that. They only did it for my allergy daughter. So they went out of their way to do that for her. I get it, right? There's a lot more meals that you're serving and things like that. But, you know, that was a little disappointing. The real disappointing thing actually was something that they could have done. And they didn't, if you ordered the Chinese menu, they didn't offer you bread. And they had this really nice garlic bread that I wanted. And I, you know, I, I didn't know about it until the way home. Otherwise, I would have asked for it because I'm sure they would have given it to me if I asked for it. But, you know, it's like they walked by and they didn't offer you bread because you had the Chinese meal, which I, I found pretty funny. That is hilarious. I've actually had that happen on, I don't remember what carrier, exactly the same thing. Because there's a lot of carriers that have good garlic bread for some reason in business class and where I've ordered the Asian meal and then I don't get offered that. And yeah, it's funny. Last thing on the flight before we move on. So let's say it costs you around 900,000 points altogether. If we put a value of those one to one and a half cents, something in there, you paid, you know, 9,000 to $13,000 in value somewhere for your five flights. I'm sure the cash price would have been significantly higher. And even the economy flights to Taiwan, you know, they're not cheap. It's not like you're getting $500 flights anymore. So I think that's probably a pretty good value, even though I just want to point out it wasn't free, right? There is a significant value to those points that you used. Yeah, definitely didn't feel free. Like when you're redeeming that many points, that's enough to like remind you that like this hobby is not free at all. And kind of the corollary and not to reference Mark twice in one episode, but he always says like after a trip like this, you kind of blow the majority of your points and it's like time to get to work. And yeah, I've been pretty lazy, frankly, about earning and stuff recently. You know, I've been spending, mo doing most of my spend, you know, either topping off to make sure I hit globalist with Hyatt or, you know, 
doing jet black jet blue mosaic nonsense and so now it's like time to you know let me start paying attention to those american express no lifetime language posts that are happening in the mtm diamond slack again let me start you know figuring out whether i need to be looking into one world carriers to get there next time since i did star alliance both ways this time and stuff like that so you know it is good to kind of deplete your resources so that you kind of get back into the rhythm of earning again so i'm gonna look forward to i gotta do my taxes first sean <laughs> which is gonna take a little while but after that i'm gonna kind of get back to business different sort of business yeah it's nice to kind of draw things down to do that I'm facing that with American Airlines miles for years and years and years and years. I've had a huge balance of American Airlines miles, and I've slowly drawn them down, not because I was trying to preserve them, but because I couldn't always find itineraries or whatever. And because of some recent trips and stuff, and including this trip to France in a couple of weeks where all of it was with American miles, my balance is as low as it's ever been in the low six figures. And now I'm like, okay, well, I need to have more of a balance there because there are some products, some potential flights, and I want to be able to take advantage of deals. So I need to get back on that. And on the flip side, on just, I don't know if I talked about it on this show or in the Diamond Slack, I think only in the Diamond Slack, but I've been cashing out some points. I just cashed out 600,000 membership rewards points. So I'm trying to draw those down in different ways because I'm not spending them on flights. And I'm really trying to, kind of understand that there is a value there outside of just travel. So there's another way to look at it, but I still have plenty of American Express points. So I do want to talk Taiwan again. Before you go into the highlights of what you did in your trip, did you hit up any night markets? Because that is my favorite part of being in Taiwan. Uh, no, that is on the list of stuff Jess is disappointed about. Okay, so the two major things we're disappointed about not doing, night markets and shaved ice. This, this was a casualty of my daughter getting sick at the end of the trip. She's totally fine now, by the way. And for those of you wondering, like we had all had COVID. Remember, I missed the icon of the seas. We had all had COVID, so we weren't worried about that. So it was just a regular sickness. But uh, no shaved ice, no night markets. And we were like close too. But it was just, I think that was the thing about like the seven-day trip. It's like we had to find time to rest. And those first few days, we were going to bed at like 7 p.m. And, you know, there was just no time to do the night market. That being said, we did go to – so we went – like I said, we went to Tainan, which is on the far south of the island. We took the high-speed rail down there. My son's dream come true. As an aside, I also took him to the high-speed rail museum in Taipei, which is free, but you can only reserve it via the Chinese site. So that was kind of fun figuring out how to do that. So we took the high-speed rail down for a day to visit my father-in-law's old home and stuff like that. And so when we were there, there was actually a lantern festival happening, I guess, in Taiwan during Chinese New Year. It kind of rotates and it goes to different cities. And it just happened to be in Tainan the time that we were there. And that there was like kind of a night market associated or there's like a pop-up mart area associated with that. So we did get a little bit of the night market feel, even though we didn't go to an actual night mart. And I mean, that was, it was really cool. There was like all these displays. I think it was like one of the highlights of the trip. There was all these art displays that had been done, like some with cool lights. And there was, I, I couldn't tell if, there were cultural acts that were happening as part of the festival or just like people were doing them to like earn money nearby. But we saw these like fire dancers. We saw some other kind of 
indigenous dances and stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun to walk along. You know, we stayed at in a loft down there and uh, just for one night. So I didn't even check out of the Grand Hyatt Taipei. Yes. Is that a waste of money? Maybe. But I just like, I'm not moving all of our luggage for one night. Like it just did not feel worth it at all, especially with all the guest of honor stuff. It was just going to be a huge mess and availability and stuff like that. Like, cause we decided last fairly last minute to go down there. But yeah, it was really nice. We stayed in the Anping area. We went to this thing called the Anping Treehouse, which is really cool. It's if you can imagine like an old kind of warehouse that has been like completely taken over by nature and like the trees are like the I think it's is it banyan roots? I don't know. Very strong roots that they're just growing all over the roof and stuff like that. That was really awesome. So it was really good to go down there for a day. I did message you. I found the aloft like really weird. So we had to get connecting rooms again because of the occupancy thing. The way the connecting rooms worked was like the doors, they opened up in such a way that when you come into one room, like through the main door, if the connecting door is open, you only have two feet to squeeze by to get into the room because the bathroom is there. And it was just like, who designed this? And then the other thing was that there, you know, the things that you put your luggage on, well, it was like a metal table, so you couldn't move it. And it was inside the bathroom. But then when you close the, like, if your bathroom, if you, and there's a bathroom sliding door, and if you didn't slide it open like all the way again, you're just like squeezing by. Just, I do not understand how they decided to use the space here, cater to people who are cooler than me. Like, I just did not, I didn't get it at all. It was a nice, nice, clean hotel, but I just didn't get the vibe. Aloft is a strange brand. I've only stayed at a couple of them, and I believe it's technically under the W brand. So it's the less nice version of a W. And so they're trying to be quirky and odd. And I think it's more of like what Andaz used to be. And I think in this general age, we have newer brands that do it better, that have kind of evolved past that. And I would, under the Marriott brand, say Moxie is a brand that does that sort of quirky, modern thing better. And I don't, you know, I just have very limited experience, but didn't love any of my Aloft stays. As you said, perfectly fine hotels, but the whole vibe of it i didn't get which i like hotels like true tries to do a very modern thing and boxy and i'd like those hotels a little bit better i don't know i don't get the quirkiness of a loft yeah i don't know the connecting doors really i mean they said there was only like six connecting door rooms in the whole entire hotel so maybe they didn't think about how, like why why would they care if there were so few i mean yeah oh, the other thing is like obviously the brand it's not catered towards families which is fine right but we like that was the only place that we could find to stay that was you know i we were gonna look at like random non-chain hotels as well but we ended up staying with a loft which is fine I'm, I'm glad that we got to do that taipei highlights we went to the zoo there's a so the zoo is built like on a hill and you can take a cable car up to the top of the zoo and then work your way down this was our first day like we had not like it was the first day that we landed. And so we were still very tired. It makes sense to walk downhill no matter what, but uh, we waited 35 minutes to go up that, you know, it's, it's like a older version of Disney's Skyliner. You know, it's like any cable car and the zoo is really cool. I wish we had been able to go when we were like awake more awake you know we saw the panda we went to see my kids are really into pangolins so we tried to go see the pangolins and stuff like that and so the zoo was really fun of course we went up taipei 101 i don't know if this is me getting old again but 
up there, I started like feeling dizzy. Like I, I felt like I could, you know, and type A 101 makes a big deal about the dampener thing that they have in the building that like keeps it from swaying. But I swear, like when I got there, like I felt it swaying and I'm like, it's only been nine years since the last time I've been here. Like, why am I feeling sick? This is so weird, but that was fun to do. We did a lot of shopping. We really like buying stuff from Uniqlo in general, but I, I like, I don't know why I, I think they get different stuff in Asia. Like some of the best star Wars shirts and Mickey mouse shirts that I have are from Uniqlo in Asia. And like, I, I used to have this one that everyone would always like, that's so cool. Where'd you get this? And I guess they didn't sell it here. I don't know if the shirt that I bought out there, it was a little boring this time, but I don't know if they sell that here, but you know, it was fun to go shopping. So the Uniqlo is an interesting, I'm kind of late to the, to the fandom of this place. Last year when we were walking through Tokyo and Ginza, we walked through their flagship store, which they claim is their flagship store. It's like eight stories. And what's really crazy is it's so cheap compared to other places, but they have some really cool clothes. And I, yeah, I never really spent much time looking at them, but enjoyed it last year and do have a shirt of theirs and maybe future trips. Maybe it'll just be an Asian experience for me. But if you're ever in Ginza area, that Uniqlo is, like I said, they claim it's their flagship and it's very cool space. Yeah, I love it. They had these Street Fighter shirts and Tekken shirts. I was like really tempted to get one of those, but I'm like, I'm too old to wear a Street Fighter shirt now. And I was never like... This is so dumb. But if I had been very good at Street Fighter, like at some point in my life, I probably would have gotten a Street Fighter 2 shirt. But, you know, I was always, I wasn't quite button mashing, but I was never, I was never as good as some of my friends at Street Fighter. So it, it would feel like uh, too, too poserly to uh, feel your pain. A, yeah, to I feel your pain. Fighter I was the shirt. same. I sucked. My brother was so good at it. And he just wiped my butt with it every single time. And then I just learned to hate Street Fighter for that because I could never be as good as him. Yeah, and then I never, I never played Tekken because that was way too technical for me. But anyway, I digress. Another cool thing that we did was that first day, we were not like we they were they were basically like you. Sorry, but you can't do breakfast today, which is fine. I there have been hotels that have let us have breakfast before on that first day when we get in early, like most recently Park Hyatt Auckland. But also, it's not expected, right? Technically, it's your first day. Well, because of that, we went just searching for, you know, Taiwan has like really great breakfast foods. Think similar to scallion pancakes, but they'll like put egg in it or they'll wrap it in the, in English, they call them crullers. In Chinese, we call them yotiao, which literally means like oil stick. So we went and we found a place and we just like with our not that great Chinese. Like we're, we're able to order the things that we want to order. And that place was like so cheap. We spent like $10 on breakfast or something like that. And the food was so good. And a lot of times we went to this place in, again, in Tainan, this beef noodle place. My daughter really loves beef noodles. And I guess my mother-in-law found it online. And when we went in there, I was like, is this place really that good? The, you just like when you're walking in, I wouldn't say it's quite like a hole in the wall, but it's not, you know, it didn't, I mean, it's, you're not walking into like this super like clean restaurant or anything like that. It's like 
looks like bathroom tile on the floor. That's not even the worst part of it. Like the worst part is like while you're walking in, you see them just like dumping the old soup into like a bucket and you're just hoping that's it, man. You know, that's when you know it's a good place. (laughs) Yeah. You're hoping they're not reusing the soup. And then like on top of that, all the, all the beef, it's just sitting out there, man. It's just, it's just out there. Like no refrigeration. I guess the belief is that like, you know, obviously you don't want to cook it from when it's frozen, but like the belief is like to cook it when it's like room temperature and then on top of all of that the one the one that jess ended up ordering the beef came raw like straight up raw and we realized that like you're supposed to you know mix it with the soup and then it cooks in the soup you know there's there's a lot of there's like a lot of stuff that was questionable but that being said it was excellent it wasn't expensive at all either it was like five dollars per bowl five dollars us per bowl it was really good turns out it is a chain quote unquote you don't think of chains looking like that it's a tie or a dash c a i is the chain and the real proof that my mother-in-law like had found a good place is when we went in it was like six o'clock there was like nobody there and we're like is this you know is this place for real when we went out there was a line that was snaking it's sn- it's snaked around three times waiting for it so i guess people just ate later or whatever so that was a really good experience overall i'm really glad we know how to speak chinese it made me wonder you know would i enjoy spain even more if my spanish was good or mexico even more if my spanish was good because just even our basic chinese being able to, you know, a simple example is like doing takeout at Din Tai Fung, right? It was just, you know, it was it was just so much easier just to have some basic Chinese. It make it made me, you know, we we send our poor kids to Chinese school on Sundays, Sunday afternoons, and they hate it. And like I'm starting to hate taking them, and, so, and it's it's feeling like a real slog. But it's like when you can order when you can order decent food or you know there was there were some there was a couple like questionable oh like my daughter lost her stuffy and we thought that maybe they had like taken it with the sheets by mistake because they had changed our sheets and my wife called and she tried to talk to them in english and they were like oh yeah we'll bring up new sheets immediately and do you want to bring air purifiers i think i guess she thought they thought that my daughter had gotten sick or something on the sheets and so my wife switched to chinese and lo and behold, they had found the stuffy and they got it back for her. And so just knowing some of the language of the country you're going to, it made such a difference. And it made me like, I know I'm 43 now, but it made me like, I'm like, I should learn another language now. Like, I, I wonder like how many doors that will open up, like if I visit Europe or things like that. And so that was pretty awesome. I don't know if you have this experience when you're with Jasmine. I mean, because we're not fluent at all. I assume she is much more fluent than we are, but it's, it's just, it's, it was, it was so great to be able to do that. And I really love that. Yeah. Jasmine fluent in Spanish. I understand enough Spanish where even personally I can communicate in Spanish speaking countries when I'm by myself, although I'm not having conversations with people, but when I'm with her, then there really is no language barrier in those countries. It's funny, even in like Italy, she'll just speak Spanish to the Italians and there's enough similarities between the language that, you know, if they don't speak English, they can understand her Spanish and parse out the words similar with Portuguese, although Portuguese has some other weird things. So, yeah, just a couple other things I want to comment. Restaurants with white bathroom tiles in Chinese areas. Love that in Asia. Always great restaurants. You know, that's a sign of a good place. 
And shout out to all the fall places in Vietnam that I ate at that when everybody was done, they would just dump the broth back in and recycle it. It was just this boiling cauldron of broth. And this is everywhere back then. I don't know if things have changed in Vietnam. It feels like they're a little bit more modern now, but you would just go to this fall place and they would serve you a bowl of pho. And then when you were done, they would take a strainer and they would dump all the broth back in. So all the little bits wouldn't go back in. But the broth would, and it's just boiling, so there's no germs. They all die, and you live to tell another, and you live <laughs> to see another day, right? I mean, come on. Yeah, they all die. The best was, the best was, we were so Jess and I like got a grant once to study like microfinance in mainland China, and so we were there, and like we were being toured around with you know this organization that my dad works with. So you know we got the grant, but then we had to like visit someone to like, you know, see microtrans or not microtransactions, but microfinance, microloaning in action and stuff. But anyway, so we were going around with these people and we went to this place and recycling soup is one thing, but they were like recycling white rice. And I was like, this is a bridge too far for me. Like, I just can't handle this. But at the same time, you know, I don't know if you feel this, you know, I, I was kind of felt this. It was funny, like teaching my kids, having lived in Hong Kong for a few years, Right. I had to learn how to like, whenever you sit, like you can't sit near, you can't sit near your grandma, man. Because if you sit near grandma, she's going to put all this food on your plate that you don't want to eat. And it's all this weird food. And so we went to a lot of like family meals. So we had a lot of great meals, but they were like family meals where we're going with relatives and they're, they're hosting us. So they're paying and stuff like that. And I was like, yo, do not, do not sit next to your uncle okay if you do not want and then and i I was teaching my daughter and i was like okay they're gonna clear your plate like every three things like every 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 three dishes they're gonna clear your plate all right so when it's time to clear your plate that's when you get the stuff that you don't really want to eat and you just want to try and then you kind of like hide it under like a napkin or something it's like all these tricks that i learned when i was like 10 11 and i was like passing these on to my kids you know that 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 was pretty awesome Um, is it like so. I've been to a couple of I've been to a couple of Chinese like family meals and is it like where the person paying they order all the dishes and they're just basically ordering for the whole table everything's family style and that's how it's going so you have no choice over what's getting ordered It's 100% like that and like we didn't even like sometimes we didn't even know like what was coming and so you know and when it's like that it's like if you find something that you like I'm like kids you need to fill up on this like right now, like, and so one, one meal I had with an uncle that we know pretty well. And I was like, we have to, and it was at, so I'll, I'll tell you all, it's called Dian Shui Lo. So D-I-A-N-S-H-U-I-L-O-U. If you're looking it up, it's in Taipei. According to him, you know, the soup dumplings there are better than Din Tai Fung, right? And so that's why he wanted to take us there. They were very good, by the way. I don't know. You know, soup dumplings are kind of like pizza to me. They're all good. I don't really, but he wanted to like get us some like fancy ones, which the adults ate, but I eventually had to be like, Hey, I'm sorry. You know, this is, this is like very American and like bad form of me. And I'm losing face because of this, but like my kids would really like another order of like the normal soup dumpling. So we got an extra order <laughs> and you know, I had to. I had to sacrifice my 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 pride and embarrass my family for the sake of my family. It was one of those things. Well, sometimes with Chinese food, I found that 
when they get fancy, it gets kind of nasty by Western standards. And I've been forced to try some of its stuff, and it's good, and some stuff I didn't like. But I always appreciate the ability to have, like, an authentic meal the few times I've got to have it because it is a whole different experience. And I think the average American, when they think of a Chinese meal, they're not thinking of what that sort of cultural experience is, the table, the the, the food, the, the camaraderie. We just don't eat meals like that here. You know, certainly not Americans, we don't. So I, I, I just love it. I think it's like a spectacle and all the dishes coming course after course. But as you said, I guess it's always better if you like what you're eating and it's not something too exotic. What are the exotic fancy? What's in the fancy soup dumplings that the kids don't like? So there was a crab one that was really good. I liked it. But, you know, the kids didn't really like it. And then another popular one, you can you can get all these at Din Tai Fung, by the way. Another popular one is it's kind of like squash with uh, with the regular meat. And that's good as well. But the squash is like a little – it's not bitter melon, but it's it's a squash. It doesn't necessarily taste like what you would think a Western squash tastes like. It's a, it's a special vegetable. You know, the thing that like even I – <laughs> to draw the line at, although I know this is like a delicacy and like people love it, but there's, I don't know how to describe it. It's like this meat jello situation. So they take meat and then like they, it gets formed in like gelatinous cubes and slices. You know, I've had it before. I just can't, I just can't, I, I can't do, I can't do that. But that's, isn't um, that what's inside the dumpling in the first place though, is the gelatinous not, meat that melts the soup. This is different. No, this is different. Yeah, this is this is not a soup dumpling. So this was a soup dumpling place, but we didn't only eat soup dumplings. We like we ate a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So just imagine. Jello but that's how they get the soup there. inside, though. But that's how yes, they get the meat they, in, inside yeah, the soup yeah. dumplings. They make it into jello, right? And then it sort of right. as it yeah. cooks, the it, soup turns back into liquid. Yeah, the soup is a solid, right, then. and then yeah, but it's 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 different. It's like it's like see through. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the anyway. It's it's been. I've 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 had to eat that in the past, and I was like, "Sorry, man, I just I just can't do it right now." He he took that all home anyway, and there were other guests, and I was also like, there were other guests, elderly guests with us, and they, you know, politely did not eat very much of that either. So I was like, I feel okay. All the other stuff we did pretty well on, but I actually really like the crab soup dumplings. But you know, it was it wasn't the thing for my kids, and the the other thing was. There was 10 of us at the table, like my family of five, my uncle and a couple other relatives and my in-laws as well. With with only one thing of regular soup dumplings, there was only 10 total. So, you know, my kids my kids wanted more. So that's why I asked for it. Closing things out, like I know everyone is really curious. I We gave some red envelopes. We didn't have any – we didn't have to give any – we ended up not having meeting any random kids. So we didn't have to give out any random red envelopes. But we gave a couple of red envelopes to my father-in-law's sister for her great-grandchildren – who we didn't get to see, but we we're like, you can pass this along to them. And my kids made a pretty decent killing just getting it from like three or four relatives. Let me do the math real quick. It was like almost two hundred dollars they got. Nice. So they they did pretty well for themselves. Giorgio Armani is who does the amenity kits for EVA in business class different whether you're going westbound or eastbound on the westbound one you get a little coin purse and my son insisted on we didn't give them we didn't let them take all their money but we're like okay like who knows when we're going to be in in asia during chinese new year again and so we're like okay you guys can like try to use your money 
Like, just take just take this money that you got and see what you can use it for. So this kid, of course, took like half his money, right? And we kept the other half, but he couldn't even use like, he couldn't even use, he ended up not being able to use like half of it. So now we have all this NT sitting in his little Giorgio Armani coin purse. And like, there's He's no a way saver. To, I know, but there's no He's way to saver. convert it. I'm like, this is useless. You know, and I'm like, oh, this is this is rich, dude. You ask me to buy you stuff all the time, and all of a sudden it's your money, and now you realize that maybe it's not worth it. So life lessons were yeah. learned. But he was he was so cute with his little coin purse, and then like we'd go to Seven Eleven just to buy snacks, and he'd like take his coins out and he'd be counting it and stuff. So I mean, it was it was funny, and it was it was a fun experience overall. So one last question before we close it out: through traveling around China and Asia a lot. I found Taiwan to be fascinating because it's the same Chinese culture as you find on the mainland. We're not getting into politics here, but it has evolved in a different way because of the governmental systems and the way the countries are run. And Hong Kong, also very different in that it's ethnically Chinese, but had the British influence. Macau, even a little different because they had the Portuguese influence. I find it fascinating to go to these different places. But how do you think traveling to Taiwan compares to traveling to mainland China specifically? If somebody's like deciding a vacation either place, I know this is a really tough, broad question, but I thought maybe you'd have some thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that it feels more Western overall. Like you can tell that the U.S. has dumped money into Taiwan, for lack of a better term. Whether it, you know, well, we won't get into the reasons for all of that, but uh, yeah, so it feels more western not as western as hong kong though of course and you know it is i mean it is weird because there one interesting thing about tainan is like that's where their air base is and so there were f-18s like i think they're f-18s i didn't get a good look but constantly flying over like every two hours a new one would fly over and like in the middle of the night you would hear these fighter jets flying over and it's one of those things where it's like there are constant reminders that Taiwan is thinking about their military. And then obviously a lot of countries have changing of the guard things, but my kids were really into the changing of the guard. So they saw it both at the Chiang Kai-shek Memorial and the Sun Yat-sen Memorial. And so they were really into it. I will say that it felt and limited experience, obviously Maybe we have more experience in Asia than most people listening, but overall, like our experience is super limited, but like no one was cutting us in line. Everyone queued like very nicely for the subway and stuff like that. And in general, uh, people queued. There was this, <laughs> my kids kept sitting in the seat that was for like the priority seat. But I realized that like, even when the cars were empty, like people wouldn't sit there. So it's not like, you know, and you, you think about it, like, it's it's not like in on the T in Massachusetts when someone's sitting in the priority seat. Like if they see an old person come on or a ba- a mom with a stroller come on, like people get up, right? But in Taiwan, it was like they never sit down in the first place. Like even in an empty car, you know, the only the only person who was not my kid who sat in there I saw was like this like teenage boy who I was like, 
this kid definitely thinks he's too cool for the rules right now at this stage of his life. Right. So, so it was like, it was like very orderly and, you know, in the cities in mainland China, I think things have become a lot more Western and things are like a lot more orderly, but we, like I said, we spent some time in less developed areas in China and like, there's just kind of like a free for all. I mean, of course there were always the stories about in Beijing before the Olympics, they had to like practice queuing and stuff like that. And I, I still think that kind of rings true. And the other thing I noticed in Taiwan is there are a lot more, it just felt like there was a lot more foreigners overall than I felt, you know, I, I guess it's just, it's just a numbers game. So that was my overall impression. Obviously that's like just one person's very limited impression overall. I do think if you're not like obviously because my wife's family is from Taiwan, there are like definitely feelings there and things like that. So, you know, we're going to read into it things from our perspective that someone who is not really doesn't really care isn't going to read. But, you know, that's just our experience. And, you know, overall, I think it's all great. I wish, I don't know, we kind of want to do, well, my son wants to move to Taiwan. And I'm like, all right, slow down. But, you know, maybe we'll pull a Sean and pull our, you know, homeschool for a year or something like that. And, do something. But yeah, it was, it was really great to be there. And it was really great to not be there in the summer because most of the times I visit Asia, it's in the summer and just brutal. And it was, it was nice to walk around and actually get to wear long pants in Asia for once. Yeah. I thought about that in Hong Kong last year, cause I'm always in Hong Kong in the heat and, or last year we were in the heat. I mean, a couple years ago and it was great. And then last year we were back in a hundred degrees and it was brutal. And we'll be there this summer is brutal. Yeah. The Taiwan question it's so fascinating because the underlying culture and people, the history, the thousands of years of culture are the same. And yet the last, you know, 60 years or 70, whatever it is, 80 years of different governmental systems have changed it. And I think they're both fascinating places to visit and they are uniquely different. And, uh, but also they're Chinese. And I think that that's kind of cool too. And Everybody knows I love visiting those places, but thanks for sharing your perspective because you do have a different perspective. I'm just an outsider. When I visit there, I don't speak any of the language and I don't get nearly, don't have family, don't get to hear that. So I appreciate it. I really appreciate you sharing all this. It, was, it sounds like a fun trip and I know you're ready to go to sleep now. Well, you're not sleeping because you have to stay up, but you got to go walk or do something to stay awake. So where can people find you when they're not listening to this fine podcast? Yeah, you can find me as Joe Flies on social media. I was posting on Instagram stories. I'm going to make it into a highlight eventually. A lot of food pictures. Yeah, the food is really good. Honestly, if you know someone who lives in any Asian country, even if they're an expat, just go with them wherever they want to eat because it's always going to be better. You know, we went to a hot pot place that we wouldn't have found on our own. There's, there was so many great things, you know, feel free. I know someone reached out. If you have questions about where I ate, you can DM me. I, I know I named a few places, but feel free to DM me and I can tell you where we went except for, you know, the random holes in the wall that we ate in. But yeah, at Azure Flies, Joseph Chung at Travelmation.net. How about you, Sean? At Miles to Memories, all over social media milestomemories.com for all our post podcast videos we have the vegas show youtube.com forward slash miles to memories if you want to do that and that's about it thanks again joe for returning i guess we'll be back with more of a normal we'll cover some of the news we've missed in the last couple weeks we'll be back next week with another show thanks so much for listening talk to you next time see ya see ya